President Emmanuel Macron of France has been back in the Middle East. This time he was in Qatar, the UAE and Saudi Arabia, his first visit to the kingdom since 2017. The French leader has made something of a name for himself in the region in recent years. He's staked significant political clout on cajoling Lebanese leaders to pass reforms to solve their dire economic crisis. He has hosted a political summit in Baghdad with officials from across the region, including Iran and the Gulf, that sought to build avenues for dialogue rather than conflict. He has visited holy sites in Jerusalem, cultural sites in the Emirates, and met the elusive musical icon Fayrouz in Lebanon. He's cut deals on energy, defense, the environment, and culture. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young. And this week, we're looking at Macron in the Middle East, what came out of his recent visits, why he's so engaged in the region, and what this means for French diplomacy. Before we get started, though, if you all want to get the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they come out, just hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcasting app. So Emmanuel Macron landed in Saudi Arabia on December 4th to meet with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The top item on his agenda was one of Macron's driving policies, Lebanon. Lebanon is facing a dire economic crisis that has pushed over half the country into poverty, seen savings evaporate, power and basic services grind to a halt. Meanwhile, politicians have bickered and failed to pass reforms that the international community, led by France and others, want to see in order to offer financial support. The issue has brought the French president to Beirut several times in recent years, and he's held meetings and summits in a bid to get action in Beirut. Something that the country didn't need at this time was another crisis. Here's Aya Iskandarani, a reporter for the National's Beirut Bureau, to tell us what's happened between Lebanon and Saudi Arabia. In October, the Lebanese Information Minister, George Kardahi, said on TV that the Iran-backed Houthis of Yemen uh, were acting in self-defense against foreign attackers. Now, the Houthi rebels uh, have been at war with the Yemeni government, which is uh, backed by Saudi Arabia and a number of Arab states. They've been at war for years. So Saudi Arabia took offense at these comments, and Qardahi uh, has refused to apologize for them. This created a diplomatic crisis. Saudi Arabia recalled its ambassador from Beirut and expelled Lebanese representation from Riyadh. Saudi Arabia's move was followed by other Gulf states, including Kuwait and Bahrain, who did the same thing. The UAE has also recalled uh, its diplomats from Beirut. And Saudi Arabia has also banned all imports from Lebanon. So essentially, these countries have cut ties with Lebanon, even though Gulf states are historic allies of the country. Lebanon's relations with Gulf states have been strained for years due to the Iran-backed Hezbollah's growing dominance on the country. But uh, in October, these uh, strained relations uh, reached uh, a new low. And what is the issue here? Saudi Arabia is a historic ally of Lebanon. Riyadh and other Gulf nations have put billions of dollars into the Lebanese economy at the end of the 90s and early 2000s, after the country um, emerged from 15 years of war. 
so they helped rebuild the country. And uh, Gulf tourists were also used to flock to Lebanon every year, every summer. And for a country that relies on tourism and on services for revenue, uh, this was a big source of income. Now, this all changed in 2005 when um, the former prime minister, Rafiq Hariri, was killed. Rafiq Hariri was a close ally to Saudi Arabia and uh, an international tribunal has found that he was killed by a Hezbollah operative. Ever since he was killed, Hezbollah has had a growing role in Lebanese politics, which has made uh, relations with Saudi Arabia and other Gulf nations very difficult. Now that Lebanon finds itself again at a time of uh, economic uh, duress, uh, the country has been going through an economic meltdown for two years now. It needs uh, investors, it needs allies to boost its economy, uh, to give the country loans, to invest. Unfortunately, Beirut finds itself alienated from its Arab allies uh, at this moment. Saudi Arabia has also helped broker uh, the deal that ended Lebanon's 15-year civil war in the city of Ta'if in uh, Saudi Arabia. So uh, the two countries have had uh, historic ties that date back decades. And we're joined by the Nationals Editor-in-Chief, Mina Al-Arabi, to talk a little bit more about Macron's visit to the region and the significance of that. So Mr. Macron sat down with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Um, what was the big outcomes of this visit? It was clear that he wanted to come and change the dynamic on Lebanon. There has been incredible tension with the Gulf countries in Lebanon, particularly in light of the statements from the former, then Lebanese uh, information minister, George Qardahi, who basically defends the Houthis, uh, the Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen. And this, of course, sparks off quite the crisis, but it was indicative of a bigger problem in Lebanon, where the Gulf countries, and frankly, quite a few Arab countries, feel like the Lebanese government is beholden to Hezbollah, which, of course, in turn, is beholden to Tehran. And Macron's visit to Saudi Arabia, the classic patron of the, let's say, secular, Sunni, more urban, modern uh, elements in Lebanon, you know, he came to say, we need your, your position in, in Lebanon to be more engaged and to open the door for getting out of this crisis. And of course, he was able to instigate this call between Hamad bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and Najib Miqati, who's formed the new government in Lebanon. And so that was important. Of course, there's the bilateral relations, and they've always been important. And the French are keen on maintaining these ties with Saudi Arabia and the wider Gulf region. But the tangible outcome, so to speak, for the region is the Lebanon dynamic. But we have to see if it will bear fruit beyond the initial phone call. I want to come back to Aya for a second. So Saudi Arabia and Gulf states have cut or reduced relations with Lebanon and many recalled their ambassadors. That hit traders who sell their produce and goods to the Gulf, but it also cut off one of the main traditional brokers to agreements and patrons of political factions in Lebanon. Aya, George Kodahi, whose comments sparked the recent tensions, resigned the day before Macron arrived in Saudi Arabia. So what's happened? One day before uh, President Macron's visit to Saudi Arabia, uh, Georges Kardahi resigned from his position. He said that he resigned due to pressure from Paris uh, and that his resignation would facilitate talks between Lebanon and the Gulf to start restoring ties. 
And uh, the, the fact that he had actually stayed in his post so long despite a diplomatic crisis is largely due to political backing. So he had the backing of Hezbollah, uh, which expressed support for him, but also of the Merida party, which is a small Christian party that's close to the Syrian regime and uh, also close to Hezbollah and that nominated him for his post. Now, since he's resigned, there have been uh, steps towards restoring ties, but um, the diplomatic ties that were cut uh, in October have not yet been restored. Okay, so then there was this phone call between Macron, Mohammed bin Salman, and Prime Minister Najib Makati. During President Macron's visit to Jeddah, President Macron and the Saudi Crown Prince called Lebanese President Najib Miati and assured him that uh, the two countries uh, were working on joint humanitarian and financial efforts to help Lebanon survive the crisis. And uh, Saudi Arabia said that it will not uh, let Lebanon down. Uh, so this was a huge first step uh, right after Gaddafi's uh, resignation. But um, uh, despite this phone call, uh, Saudi Arabia has not yet redeployed its ambassador to Lebanon or restored diplomatic ties. And actually, this is consistent with uh, the Saudi position on Lebanon. After Gaddafi resigned, the Saudi foreign minister uh, said that Basically, his comments were the straw that broke the camel's back, but they were not uh, the main reason why Saudi Arabia was upset with Lebanon. The main reason was uh, Hezbollah's growing influence on the country and the fact that uh, the political elite was unable to reform and unable to stop the group from spreading in Lebanon. And how was that perceived in Lebanon? After the call, uh, Saudi Arabia also issued a press release in which it said that financial aid and uh, restoring full ties uh, also depended on uh, Lebanon's ability to reform and to keep the proliferation of weapons uh, outside of the state in check. And this was a reference to Hezbollah, which is the largest armed group in the country. The fact that there was a call, that there was a first step towards uh, restoring ties uh, after the diplomatic crisis uh, does not mean that uh, basically Beirut gets a free pass. The phone call was uh, well received in Lebanon. Uh, the Mi'ati government framed it as a success. Saudi Arabia's historic allies in the country were cautiously optimistic because they said that, well, basically the Lebanese government cannot really commit to the demands of Saudi Arabia. It's unable to uh, keep Hezbollah in check. So the reactions were mixed. Uh, in general, it's seen as a positive step, but a difficult one for Lebanon to implement. But also the fact that Saudi Arabia and France spoke of humanitarian aid uh, was uh, well-received in general because the country is uh, in dire need of humanitarian help. Nearly 80% of the population has become poor since the onset of the economic crisis in 2019. Uh, that's up from, I think, uh, somewhere around 30% before the crisis. So that's huge. A lot of people need help uh, at the moment, regardless of the political context. Has Hezbollah reacted? From what I've seen, Hezbollah has yet to react to the phone call between uh, President Macron, MBS, and uh, uh, Miati. They have in general supported Kordahi uh, and have an anti-Saudi Arabia stance. So 
it's unclear what they think of this for now. And Aya, why has Macron been so engaged in the Lebanon crisis? France has a historic presence in Lebanon and historic ties in Lebanon. So Lebanon was under French mandate. There is a big Francophone population, so a French-speaking population in Lebanon. And President Macron himself has been very invested in helping Lebanon uh, emerge from the economic crisis and also rebuild after the Beirut port explosion that happened last August. So Macron came to Beirut twice after the explosion. After his first visit, there was a petition that um, I think gathered tens of thousands of signatures uh, to restore the French mandate. So he does have a big popularity in Lebanon because of that. He's kind of seen as a savior by many. At the same time, a lot of Lebanese have been disillusioned because um, uh, his efforts to help Lebanon have not yet succeeded. President Macron uh, has tried to uh, convince Lebanese politicians to reform and to halt widespread corruption, telling them that if they do that, they will get billions of dollars in aid because he managed to rally donor countries and uh, the international community to help Lebanon. This has yet to happen. He tried to give a roadmap for politicians last September, but one year on, they have yet to enact any reforms. And where do you think this phone call leaves Prime Minister Makati now? Prime Minister Najib Miati has framed this phone call as a success and has repeatedly promised that he will enact reforms, that he will work on restoring Lebanon's uh, ties with Arab allies. But it's going to be very difficult for Miati's government to do that, mainly because the government, uh, first of all, it has not convened since October because Hezbollah ministers have threatened to boycott cabinet meetings if the government does not dismiss the judge investigating the Beirut port blast. So Judge Tariq Bitar has summoned uh, high-profile politicians and officials Uh, who are close to Hezbollah, not part of the group, but close to the group, for questioning. And uh, Hezbollah did not appreciate that, uh, so they have asked for him to be dismissed. Another reason that the government has limited action when it comes to reform is that this is a sort of transition government, so it will stay in place until parliamentary elections are held sometime next year. It's going to be either in March or in May, we are not sure yet. but. It's going to be difficult for a government that can't convene and for a government that will only be in place for a few months to fight corruption, to enact huge reforms, to keep Hezbollah in check. Uh, This is going to be tough. Another issue that activists and civil society have complained about is that a government in which sectarian parties renowned for corruption are represented or have a say at least, since they backed the ministers, is not going to help the country move past an economic crisis that has been caused by the same political class. So that's another issue, a political one, that uh, the Lebanese political system has to deal with. So as Aya and Mina just said before, we'll have to wait and see what that call means for relations going forwards. But that wasn't all that was discussed during Macron's visit to Saudi Arabia. Macron and Mohammed bin Salman discussed Iran, Iraq, and the conflict in Yemen, as well as the situation in Libya. Macron told reporters, we talked about absolutely everything. 
Macron said that his visit was also about recognizing Saudi Arabia's role in the future of the region, given the rapid reforms that the country is undergoing, from arts to tourism to women's rights to economic shifts, and its future with a youthful population of over 30 million people. While there, the French delegation signed deals on energy. They discussed the environment. They talked about cultural exchange. Well, the French clearly want to be part of that in terms of the potential deals that are there. But also uh, Total Energies is seen as a key uh, partner, French partner that's being involved in Saudi Arabia and the UAE and other parts. And so, you know, certain doors open when the president is the one to go and visit the country. So the French absolutely see the transition that's happening in Saudi Arabia, that's happening in the region. They want to be a part of that. And Mr. Macron himself has been really engaged in the Middle East. He's been back and forward to the UAE, to, to Saudi now. Um, he's been engaged with Lebanon. Why is he personally so involved in what's happening in this region? And he was in Baghdad earlier this year, where he went to the summit. And it was quite interesting because diplomats from the region say that whole summit that happened in Baghdad, that had Arab countries, that had the Iranians there, that had the French, uh, that the French were really keen on this and that President Macron himself was keen to have the summit happen in Baghdad. He wants to be able to show that he has convening power, but also is genuinely interested in having a foreign policy that is robust, that is engaged. And of course, this all happens with a backdrop of a much less engaged United States and the United Kingdom. You know, the traditional allies in this part of the world were the UK and the US, and they're missing in action. So the French are quite smart, and he sees an opportunity where a country with the stature and clout of France, but also is seen as a trusted ally, he understands the importance of investing in personal relationships. For example, if you take his foreign minister, his defense minister, they've come even more frequently than he has because they want to have that face time. They want to have those conversations. Why is the US? less engaged or less present in this sense. It's funny, if you speak to American officials, they'll be like, no, absolutely not, we're here. But they, they are missing. I mean, look, first of all, you've got French ambassadors in these capitals where you don't have American ambassadors, neither in the UAE, nor in Saudi Arabia, nor in Bahrain, nor in a number of countries. So one, again, it's that relationship, it's the actual presence. But it's bigger than that. The U.S. is clearly going through a period of introspection that perhaps reflects what happened in the UK after Suez and what happened to the French after their colonial era passed. So they've withdrawn. They're not really sure what their policies should be on the record. Even off the record, US officials decry anyone saying that they're disengaged, but they are. They're not present and they don't have a clear foreign policy in terms of those bilateral relations. On the flip side, you have Mr. Macron, who again has built an incredible rapport with a number of the leaders in the region including Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, the crown prince of Abu Dhabi. You know, from the opening of the Louvre Museum in uh, 2017, it's been four years now, and uh, to coming here in person to receiving Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed in Paris just in September and working on building that trust, showing that he has a strategic vision. You don't have that in the United States, partly because you've had, of course, just a recent change in presidency, and you have a president that's really busy with internal introspection and also seems to want to say his classic allies are the Europeans and frankly, only the Europeans. And you mentioned the, the kind of visit that Macron then did to, to the UAE. And perhaps for me, was most interesting was seeing that a lot of these meetings were taking place at Expo. 
and yet they were on a broad range of things from defense to culture to, to you know, energy again, but happening at this kind of global gathering. Tell me a bit more about Macron's kind of visit and how you saw that here. I agree with you that happening at Expo, it gave it a different sense for a number of reasons. And one of them is that they were all encompassing agreements, important defense agreements, but also the extension of the Louvre Agreement until 2047, which is quite something. Um, it was going to be a much shorter term, but then you also have uh, economic agreements being signed. And again, you saw the images that appeared from the meetings that seemed while formal because there were signings, there was also a familiarity and uh, a sense of this is business, but also personal relationships. And that is something that, again, Macron has worked on and he can be seen as a leader who enjoys that, that very few leaders in Europe, actually, I can't think of a leader in Europe that has the same sort of relationship here in the Gulf. I mean, the British certainly don't at the moment. Germany, we've just had a major change with Angela Merkel leaving. Um, and so he wants to take advantage of that. And of course, he has his own presidential election coming up and wants to show that he has a presence on the stage, be it at Expo, be it in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, there'll be detractors, but ultimately he can say, look what I've been able to deliver in terms of tangible deals that, of course, will impact the economy back in France. And the impact of Macron's visit to the UAE will definitely be felt back in France. He signed a deal to sell the UAE 80 new upgraded Rafale fighter jets, worth $18 billion, a contract that the manufacturers said was the most important it had ever struck. For France, that means hundreds of high-tech defence sector jobs for at least the next six years. We spoke to French ambassador to the UAE, Xavier Châtel, about the deal. It's a massive deal. It's a massive acquisition for the UAE's uh, Air Force. It's a very strong, very competent, very seasoned Air Force, which has now been operating, uh, you know, Mirage 2000-9 aircraft for, uh, for many years now, and of course also F-16. With the Rafale, they are acquiring state-of-the-art uh, technology with a fantastic aircraft, which is now operated by many, many countries, including countries in the region, you know, so uh, India, of course, and uh, Egypt, not very far from here. So several countries have this, um, this excellent aircraft. What it means also is it's a renewal of the commitments between our countries. Because when you invest in that capacity on both sides of the investment, it means that you commit yourself to the other for the next 30 or 40 years. So it's a big commitment. It's a gesture of confidence, confidence in the aircraft, but also confidence in the relationship. Because with the aircraft come training, come um, you know, the new developments and the new standards of the aircraft, which will need to be applied um, along the years to the aircraft owned by the UAE. So you need a, a strong base of confidence to make that kind of commitment. We also discussed what Macron's visit means for UAE-French relations and the ties between the two countries. So the visit was basically, it was an immense moment in which the president came to visit his main strategic ally and partner in the region. And in doing so, they strengthened the partnership in many ways. Um, of course, in the, in the field of uh, security and defense, I think as was very uh, plain in the huge announcements that were made, but also in the field of the economy, in which a, uh, a number of key agreements were also signed and concluded, uh, but, but also in the field of culture with the Louvre, 
in the field of space, in the field of agriculture, with some um, other elements which were assigned in the run-up to the visit. So it just showed the, the extent and the breadth and the, and the solidity and the depth of, the, of this partnership. And Ambassador Châtel also discussed how the UAE-French alliance and relationship has developed. It's a relationship which did not start uh, yesterday. Uh, so already from the inception of the UAE, there has been a very strong connection. And when you look at the uh, archive images of the first uh, travels by French presidents in, uh, to Sheikh Zayed back in the days, so this friendship has been going on uh, for a very long time. It was strong on security, so the, the UAE has always had a you know, French aircraft in the, uh, in the UAE fleet. And after the first Gulf War, there was a defense agreement which was signed between the two countries, um, which led a few years down the line to the establishment of a number of military bases in the country. Um, so an air base, an army base, and naval base. So the, the, the partnership has been very strong in that field, but also in other fields. So one of the main investors in the country is Total, now Total Energy, which uh, owns about 10% of Adnoc Energy, um, uh, which, which itself owns 60% of the oil production in the country. So we've been, we've been here very solidly. And I think that this partnership has increased, of course, with the inception of the Sorbonne in 2006, uh, with the creation of Louvre, which was decided in 2007 and then opened in uh, 2017. So it's a very broad, uh, very broad presence, buttressed also by the number of companies. So there are like 600 companies here uh, representing more than 30,000 jobs. We have 30,000 French citizens here, um, seven schools, etc. So it's a very strong, very broad-based presence in the country. So when President Macron comes here and has built a relationship very strong with um, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed, this is um, a, just you know, a new and important development, but based on a very, very strong base indeed. As Mina discussed earlier, Macron's meetings also took place at the Dubai 2020 Expo, a world fair of culture, of business, of humanity that runs through to March 2022. It's been a major attraction with millions of visitors already, and now Emmanuel Macron is one of them. I asked Ambassador Châtel about the French leader's impressions of the site when he was there. I think he was elated. I think he was um, impressed by what the UAE has been able to pull off in, uh, against the adverse conditions of the pandemic to throw such a feast, uh, to be able to put together such an, uh, you know, an architectural component and to attract um, so many people. The expo is a success, uh, quite clearly, with uh, uh, something like five and four million uh, visitors so far. It's, um, it's really a success in circumstances which are not that easy. So I think he's, uh, I cannot speak for the president, of course, but I think his judgment was very positive and I could uh, see from his attitude throughout the visit that um, it was a real success. Thanks this week to all my guests, Ambassador Xavier Châtel of France, the Nationals Editor-in-Chief Mina Al-Arabi, and Aya Iskandarani of the Nationals Beirut team. This was Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young. We were produced this week by Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison. For all the latest episodes, remember to subscribe in your podcast app. And if you're there and you enjoyed the episode, why not leave us a review? <laughs>